is the word of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Brothers and sisters, I cannot address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone who else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for one can be for no one can lay any foundation other than the one that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to the light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become foolish so that you may become wise. For wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. All right, well, really good to have you with us today. And if it's your first time, probably not a coincidence that you're here on Mother's Day because, you know, that's what mom wants is she doesn't want anything more than to have her kids and grandkids with her at church. And you can't say no to that. So if that's why you're here, way to go. But we hope that you'll find this is a good place to be all the time. It's not just a mom thing. And you're joining us at a good time because we're in week three of a four-part series uh, talking about the contrarian, out-of-the-box, against-the-grain wisdom of God. Uh, Going through the first few chapters of 1 Corinthians, which was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church that he started a few years back in the Greek city of Corinth trying to straighten out their messed up thinking, which we're still dealing with a lot of the same problems today. So if you are ready to wise up, then you want to listen up today. You're going to get some wisdom. And it begins with mom. Moms have a lot of wisdom, right? We, what kind of wisdom did your mom pass down to you? We call those mom-isms, right? Forrest Gump had them. 
Right? Mama said life is like a box of chocolates. Stupid is and stupid does. The water boy had him. Mama says little girls are the devil. So what kind of wisdom <laughs> did your mom give to you? Uh, and what kind of pearls of wisdom have you passed on to your kids? Well, I asked you to give me some examples on social media and got a lot of responses. So I'm just going to give you a few of these. Rini said, her mom said, do the right thing and the feelings will come later. I like that. Patty said, every action has a consequence, so choose wisely. And if you miss the aim, take the blame. Talking about little boys having to clean up the bathroom there. Okay. <laughs> Mark's mom said, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Angela said, you can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar, right? Which confused her because she had no interest in catching flies at all. Stephen's mom said, if you think you got life all figured out, hurry up and leave before you forget everything. That's kind of when she was angry. But when she was more tender, she would say, it's not that I think I'm smarter than you. It's just that I have more experience. And with experience comes wisdom. Cindy said, you get what you get and don't throw a fit. I like, I like the rhyming ones, right? <laughs> Phyllis' mom said, just sitting around won't get the cows milked. Kip said, my mom always told me when going on a trip, make sure you pack enough underwear. And Becky said, when times get tough, put on your big girl panties. And Nancy said, always have clean underwear on. You never know when you're going to be in an accident. So you see a little mom and underwear kind of theme going here. Just a little bit of an obsession with the underwear. <laughs> Natasha said, the lady I considered my spiritual mom would say normal is just a setting on the dryer. Diana's mom said, what's done in the dark, always come to the light. So make good choices. Patricia said, keep your eyes and your ears open and your mouth shut. And Jill said, her mom, Jay, says, do what you have to do now so that you can do what you want to do later. And Josh's mom said, pass the test the first time so you don't have to take it again, which applies to a lot more than just school. Stephanie said, I always tell my kids, good character is defined by the choices you make when no one is watching. Darlene's mom's wisdom was, because I said so. And if you don't stop crying, I'll give you something to cry about. And Michael's mom said, I brought you into this world. I'll take you out. Yeah. So kind of difficult when you're a kid, when you're young and immature to appreciate your parents' wisdom like that. And I think that's the situation we're dealing with here in First Corinthians is um, Paul is writing this letter to a bunch of immature Christians. And says, guys, it's time to grow up. Y'all are acting like a bunch of babies. And the, you know, the goal of any parent is you want your kids to grow up to be mature. And Paul's trying to do that with these relatively young Christians. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to treat you as a parent. I mean, he's the one that gave birth to this church. He started it. He led many of them to the faith. And so in the next chapter, he says, in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel and then later to another church in the city of Thessalonica, he'll say, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. So it just reminds us that we really are the family of God, uh, that when you decide to follow Jesus, it's called being reborn. You're born again from above, a heavenly spiritual family that you're born into, right? And you have all these brothers and sisters and you start out as a baby, which is a, it's a normal good thing. But just like in any physical family, a baby needs lots of care, needs nurture, needs teaching. And babies begin with milk 
And we celebrate when that baby begins to go from the baby bottle to the little jars of pureed and strained Gerber goo. You know, that's a big deal. And they they graduate then more to the mashed up mushy foods and then the small chunks and the finger foods and then the table food. Because as they, they grow, they're able to handle more solid food. And that's a great thing. And that's the way it should be in the family of God as you start out as a baby. And that's fine. That's good. But it's a process of growth. And you want to be able to handle more and more as you go. So that's why as new Christians, we want to begin teaching them well until they're able to handle more and more. The apostle Peter says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may what? Grow up in your salvation. Milk's good. Milk does a body good, at least according to the American Dairy Association. Right? When you grow up, you're st- I mean, you still drink milk as an adult, most of us. Right? How many, how many still drink milk? All right, let's, let, let's break it down, actually. How many like drink the most normal kind of milk? 2% milk. Let me see your hand. 2%ers? All right, most of you. How many, though, are like, I go all in, man. I'm, I'm hardcore. Whole milk. I drink the good stuff. How many of you are like, that is absolutely gross, whole milk that's so creamy and thick? Blah. All right, how many don't like, okay. How many, though, are like, go the other end? I'm all, all, I'm all about the fat-free. I'm the skim milk, man. Give it to me. Mm-hmm. How many of you are like, that's disgusting. That's like drinking chalky water. Nasty. All right, okay. How many of you, though, you don't drink any actual milk? You, you actually like almond milk. Let me see you. You bunch of liars. That is not, you don't, you drink it, you don't like it. Come on, that ain't even milk. What are we talking about? Vegan farmers getting up at 5 a.m. to milk the almonds? What is that? It's not milk. I prefer one person... I drink 1% milk. I prefer sweetened condensed milk. I mean, that's the best. <laughs> but uh, you know, milk does a body good, apparently, but milk actually does a soul good. Um, spiritual milk is good. But Paul, I'm guessing, often got criticized for not teaching more meatier things, that he, he, he gave away a lot of spiritual milk when you know, he, he stayed in the shallow end instead of going deep with the deep meaty doctrines. And it's not that he couldn't teach on meatier things. It's just that he focused more on the milk because people need the simple gospel. We need to be grounded in the life and teachings of Jesus. It's not that uh, simple is shallow. It's just that we need a whole lot of Jesus in our lives. And yes, we read the Old Testament. It's the word of God. It's inspiring. It's challenging. It's got a lot of wisdom in there, but it's not as relevant to us. Because we need to focus on Jesus in the New Testament, that simple message of salvation and the cross. And I've got that same kind of criticism at times over the years. I know that, you know, I'm, my, my talks aren't deep enough or they're not meaty enough. And people will leave the church by saying, oh, I'm just not being fed here anymore. I'm like, I, I notice that people who say that kind of stuff typically are the kind of people who haven't learned to feed themselves. They're still depending on a preacher to feed them everything. And, the, you know, they loved it when they were new in their faith, and they were being brought to Jesus by all those milk messages, and they were starting to grow up, but then they outgrow all that, and they begin to despise the milk, and they don't, they're not concerned that other people can be led to Christ through that same message. They've, they're, they're beyond that now, and see, a, a sign of maturity is that you learn to feed yourself. You're studying your Bible for yourself, right? You're getting into it. You're digging deep. You're getting into studies and groups and listening to podcasts and reading Christian books. You're feeding yourself because the emphasis shifts from feed me, feed me, feed me to who can I feed as a big brother, as a big sister, who can I take under my wing and 
pour into them and teach them and coach them and encourage them and mentor them. That's a sign of maturity. Now, I'm not saying that we keep everything around here simple all the time, but let's face it, in an auditorium like this, not everybody's going to be a spiritual giant. And, and so everybody's at different levels of growth. And so I try to mix in a little bit of meat, a little bit of milk, make sure everybody gets a little bit of something. But Paul, he also didn't teach meatier things to the Corinthians because they couldn't handle it. They weren't ready for it. They weren't able to digest it because they were still acting like worldly people instead of people filled with the Holy Spirit who were desiring God's wisdom. Now, you know, babies act like babies, and that's a normal good thing. They don't know very much yet. I mean, they, they soak in everything, and then they soak everything they're on. That's okay. That's what babies do. But you don't want to stay there. You're, you know, when you're a new Christian, your life doesn't like change everything overnight. It's growth. And what we need is older brothers and sisters who will come alongside and show us the ropes, right? It, it's when that Christian, that new Christian gets stuck in the bassinet and never gets out and gets beyond the diaper stage. It's, it's, well, b babies are cute when they do baby things, but when a toddler is still doing baby things, it's not very cute. And when an older kid is still acting like an infant, that's definitely not cute. And it's clearly not cute when a 30-year-old is still acting like a baby. But that's what we're talking about. When Christians still live like they were before, coming to Christ, no changes in their life, they're stuck in the cradle, still worldly and it's time to grow up, Paul says. Man, it's time to throw away the blankies and the binkies and put on those big boy pants. Let's go. Let's start growing. And we've all got growing to do. Nobody is fully mature. That's our goal is we want to be grown up like Jesus, complete in Christ. We're not there yet. And so what is your area of immaturity? And what are you doing about it? What is your plan to grow beyond that stage? Because it's not just going to happen on its own. Uh, growing old doesn't mean growing up. And time doesn't equal wisdom. You gotta have a plan to learn, to experience growth, right? To graduate beyond that milk. What's it gonna do? What's it gonna be? Well, we're talking about this. Read your Bible, get in a group, do some studies, come to church every week to learn and grow. And Paul points out look, you're not only acting like mere infants. You're still acting just like mere humans, like you've never even been filled with the Spirit. You're not living by God's wisdom. You're still worldly, which is leading to all these, this jealousy, which is causing quarrels, which is leading to division. Stop, grow up. That's like you're, you're a bunch of two-year-olds. You're going through the terrible twos, throwing tantrums that you're not getting your way, or you're acting like rebellious adolescent know-it-all teenagers who are forming into these cliques in the cafeteria around the tables. Here's the jock table and the nerds, and here's the hipsters and the stoners and the cheerleaders, and you're all dividing over who we're going to listen to. Oh, we're the Paul people. We're the Peter people. We're the Apollos people. And it's, it's ridiculous because these guys are all teaching the same thing. They're all preaching Jesus just with a little bit different style, different personality, different perspective. But they're nothing. We're just servants through whom you came to believe. We're ministers. Minister just means a servant. Wow, awesome. Deacon is a servant. It's all the same word. This isn't about leaders and their titles and their groupies and their, their posses. This is about Jesus. We're just his servants. And it's not a competition. I mean, I see people get online and they'll, talk, they'll go, oh, you know, my church is the best or my pastor is the best. Good intentions, but that's what kids argue about. We're not in competition. 
That's what stirs up trouble. And he says, you all need to get it together. You need to learn to get along as brothers and sisters. Isn't that what you tell your kids when they start fighting? Hey, knock it off. Hug your sister. Tell your brother you're sorry. You know, you love each other or else you start loving each other because love is the mark of maturity. Put away all those childish things. And that's our big idea is you got to decide to live God's way if you want to grow up. I got to decide. I got to choose to live God's way if I'm going to grow up. Now, he, he switches from that metaphor of the family to, to a field. You know, because raising plants is kind of similar to raising kids. They both need a lot of care, a lot of nurture, and God's got a garden where he's growing disciples. And he uses us to, to help people along in that process. Some of us plant seeds, some of us water them, but God gets the credit for all the growth. But we're all needed in that process. And it doesn't matter if you're the plow boy or you're the water boy. We're just garden tools in God's hands to help people grow. And then he switches to the metaphor of a building, that we are the building of God. The church is the building, not the, the facility, but the people of God are the temple of the spirit where God dwells within us. Remember in the Old Testament, the imagery of the temple is if you wanted to meet with God, you had to travel to Jerusalem, go up to the temple, and uh, uh, that's where his spirit dwelt. Well, Jesus comes along, he fulfills that, he takes it to a new level, he says, all right, no longer do you need to go to a temple, you are the temple, the Holy Spirit is within you, and God goes with you wherever you go. You are the mobile temple. God's church is not a place, it's a people. It's the temple of God. And he reminds these Corinthians, look, I came to your city to build the church, and I set it on a solid foundation of Jesus Christ, and then others have come along to build on that foundation. Apollos came and he taught you good sound doctrine. And now the question is, what are you using to continue building the church there? Are you using good quality, durable materials? Again, not on the facility, but on the people. Are you investing in them like things like gold and silver and costly stones? What kind of material like wood? Are you using, and there's different kinds of wood. Are you, are you using cedar and oak wood, you know, expensive, durable woods? Or are you using like pine or balsa wood to build the church? Are you using hay and stubble to build the church? Because those are, the, those are just cheap materials. They're not going to last. They're not going to stand. Are you investing yourself, your time, your efforts, your resources into building the church stable, strong, and lasting? It's like the story of the three little pigs. Remember, the first one built his house out of straw, second one out of sticks, third one out of bricks. And when the big bag wolf comes along huffing and puffing, the house of straw and the house of sticks falls down. Only the house of brick remains. Why? Because that piggy had put in a lot of time and effort and care and resources into building a strong, durable house that would stand the test. How many of you are building your life like that? How many of you are living in a place right now, literally a physical place that it was not made with good quality materials? The, the builder cut corners, used substandard workmanship, shoddy materials, and it's just a mess. And what, what an awful thing to do, because when the calamity does come, then disaster strikes. And we saw that last month in Paris, when that fire took place at the Notre Dame Cathedral, this beautiful, majestic temple that had been built to God's glory and honor over hundreds of years by thousands of workmen, all this expert craftsmanship and expensive materials went into this, this 
edifice that was so greatly, carefully constructed. But then somebody else came along to build further on that, to renovate it. And we're still not sure exactly, but it appears that just somebody's carelessness caused that fire to break out. Now, the expensive durable materials, the brick and stone is still standing, but that wooden roof burned all up and there was great damage and loss. What a shame and and what what an illustration that just one person can destroy the work of thousands of people. Right? And it's still happening today in churches all over the place that people have sacrificed their time and labor and finances to build these churches. And I'm not talking about buildings now. I'm talking about to build churches to God's glory. And all it takes is one person, oftentimes just one pastor, who will commit these grievous sins which cause people to lose trust, to walk out, and invites the scorn of the community causes severe damage. One person destroys the beauty and the soundness and the witness of a church. And if we, if we don't build this thing here strong and solid, it will not stand the test when it comes. A fire of testing will show the quality of our work. And I don't know what that fire will be, but it's come in the past and it will come again. What kind of church have we built here? If it stands... The fire, there will be reward for the builder. If it does not stand, well, we can still be saved, but there will be lost. I mean, the church will go on. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The church is going to go on. But Jesus is like this building inspector, right? It's like the final inspection. Some of you, you've gone through home improvement projects, right? You got to pull the permits. You got to hire the architect. You got to deploy the crew. And they go through all this uh, effort to build something. And then what happens? You have the final inspection and you just hold your breath, hoping that they sign off on it so you can actually use what you have built. And some of you who are, who are in construction, your builders, your electricians, plumbers, drywallers, you know the building inspector, right? <laughs> that's why so many tradesmen hate him because he comes out and he, he can red flag things. He can shut you down. And what we're saying is Jesus is like that building inspector. He's going to test the quality of our work. Now, we're not saying that we're saved by our works. We're saved by grace through faith. Not by works. We're not getting into heaven by the work we do. But we are saved for good works. And God, is, as Christians, he is going to judge the quality of our work. He is going to come along and on the day we stand before him, we're going to give an account. And he's going to evaluate what we did in his name with what he entrusted to us. Will it stand? What are you building your life on? On worthless things? Are you wasting your life on things that really don't matter, that aren't going to last, that are just all going to burn up and burn down? When you stand before him, are you going to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or will you hear him say, you know what, you've made it in, but you got nothing to show for it because you did nothing to build your life. You did nothing to build my church. And especially severe loss, the ones who cause all the dysfunction and the division and the doctrinal controversies in the church. Yes, they may still be saved, but they lose their reward. The church of Jesus Christ, you know, the, the church is going to go on. But those local churches in the community may have to shut their doors because of 
the lack of good building. So let's make sure we build this thing here wisely with a lot of love and faithfulness and truth and missional purpose and doctrinal soundness and leaders with integrity and a healthy culture and good values, good godly values. And even down to good systems and and safeguarding policies, making sure that everything is built the best way possible because God is worthy. We're going to do our very best in ministry here. We're going to seek to to express excellence in what we do to honor God because he's worthy of our best. And if all we're doing is giving these second-rate efforts and our leftover finances and substandard labor well, that, that, there's going to be loss. It's going to be shoddy, shoddy work. If we take this attitude that says, oh, well, it's just for the church. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have to do my best for the church. I don't have to prepare for that. I don't have to rehearse. I can show up late. I don't really have to go by the policies. Uh, I, I, I'll just get by. I'll do enough to get by and uh, I'll go on a wing and a prayer and make it up as I go and it'll be good enough. <laughs> And a theologian once said, holy shoddy is still shoddy. So whoever's doing the building, whether it's Apollos, Paul, Peter, you, me, doesn't matter. It's not about them. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. Let's give him our best. Because whatever we do to weaken and divide the church with stirring up trouble, envy, dissensions, worldly attitudes and actions, all that is destroying the temple of the spirit. And that's serious business because an attack on the temple is an attack on God himself, not the building, but we are the holy people of God. And so church is a sacred thing. It's a special thing that God lives in and works through. That's a, that, I think that's a humbling truth. Jesus is in us and among us right now in spite of our sins and dysfunctions and messes which means, yeah, it's a very messy grace because Jesus paid for us. He invests in us to make this church a special thing. So when we just, all we do is criticize the church's faults, when we complain about its failures, when we leave the church and we walk out and we start throwing church and stones from the outside, that's not the answer. What is? It's to stay there, stay involved, do your best work to make it a beautiful, solid, sturdy thing to the glory of God make his church a wonderful thing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, don't deceive yourselves. If any of you think you're wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. You know, he's being ironic. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. Jesus comes along and he turns the values of this world completely upside down, doesn't he? He says, if you want to be great, you got to humble yourself and become a servant of all. And that's not the way the world works, is it? He says, if you want to live, you want to truly live, you got to die to yourself. And if you want to be free, truly free, you make yourself a slave to Jesus Christ. And if, if I, when I'm weak, then I'm strong because I'm relying on the Lord. And the way that I overcome and triumph is to surrender. That's just foolishness in the world's eyes. Those paradoxes seem ridiculous. But are you willing to be considered a fool? 
Or does your pride and your fear of persecution cause you to avoid being known as a fool for Christ? Does your family think you're absolutely crazy for what you believe? Do they think they're throwing your life away? Are you willing to suffer the contempt, to be the butt of jokes, to fight against that instinct, to be welcomed and received and approved by everybody, to fit in everywhere? I want you to listen to this quote and see if you might guess who the famous American is that said this. And a little clue, he died just three years ago. God assumed from the beginning that the wise of the world would view Christians as fools, and he hasn't been disappointed, Devout Christians are destined to be regarded as fools in modern society. We are fools for Christ's sake. And we must pray for courage to endure the scorn of the sophisticated. Have the courage to have the, your wisdom regarded as stupidity. Be fools for Christ. Who do you think said that? Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. And if people think that brilliant legal mind is foolish, then what hope do we have? What do you think they're going to call you? I mean, who are you trying to impress? If they did it to Jesus, they're going to do it to you. They called him all kinds of names. They hated him. They persecuted him. They twisted all his words. You think you're going to fare any better? You just need to be okay with that. I mean, would you say, oh, absolutely, I'm a fool for Christ, man. I'm an old school, hardcore, Bible-believing Jesus freak, and I'm okay with it. I'm cool with that because I would much rather be wise in the eyes of the Lord than wise in the eyes of this world. And I would much rather hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, than to hear everybody talk about how cool I am. Just embrace it, man. Just own it. Don't be ashamed of it because when you do that, it diffuses all their power, right? Because it, it confuses them, and they'll, they'll say, you're... You're a nut job. Yep, <laughs> sure am. You're, you're, you're out of your mind. Reckon so. You are, you're crazy for what you believe. You got that right. Just own it. Because they don't know what to do with that. I mean, it, it confounds them, and yet they see something in you that's so different, so magnetic, so attractive, they still want it. And it helps you when they, they say things to you like, hey, man, let's go to the strip club. <laughs> you know, thanks for asking, but no, no, I, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> You're a loser. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Um, but <laughs> Jesus wouldn't want me to do that. Or when your friends try to draw you into some juicy gossip, say, no, nah, I can't do that. I can't do that. Oh, you're a weirdo. <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much. But that's, that's not what Jesus would want me to do. Hey, man, let's, let's, go, let's go get wasted. <laughs> Thanks for asking. But um, no, I love Jesus. Oh, you're a Jesus freak. Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> just, it's okay. You know, just, just know. You know and God knows you're actually being the grown-up. You're the one being wise and mature. So let's just all be fools here together for a little while. Because one day Jesus is coming back and uh, their wisdom is going to be shown to be folly. You're going to be proven right. The tables will be turned. This upside down world will be turned right side up. So let's just stay united in Jesus, in the truth, and in the authority of God's word. And we'll choose to do it God's way if we're going to grow up. You ready? Let's get mature. Amen. Let's pray. All right, God, we, we're ready to grow up. <laughs> we're done with the childish ways. And uh, we, we're still we're going to struggle with that, but by your strength and help, we're going to become like Jesus. We're going to become mature. 
because of your wisdom. We want to live up to your standards, so strengthen us by your word. Uh, we, we want to hear those words to us one day, well done, good and faithful servant. Enable us to withstand whatever ridicule comes our way, and that we'd actually receive and we'd, we'd experience the blessing of being persecuted for your namesake. We're your family, Lord, so help us to love and get along with our brothers and sisters. And we're your field, so use us to plant seeds and water them in other people's lives. Help them grow. We're your building, so help us to build our lives on Jesus, to honor the spirit who lives in us and among us by staying united and investing ourselves in it fully so that the quality of our works will withstand that fiery test. And we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.